Let us pray. So, Father, on this first Sunday in Advent, we pray that you would fill our hearts with an expectant desire to encounter you afresh, to wait on you, and to look with anticipation toward the return of our Lord as we give thanks in anticipation of celebrating our Lord's birth as a man in his first coming. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here, and I hope all of you had a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving. Um, the past two weeks have been a, a couple of very special events for some of the um, senior members of our church. About two weeks ago, our beloved Mama Rose Reed turned 92. Um, Mama Rose is not able to get out to church these days, but is now living with her son, and I know a number of folks went over to celebrate with her. And then yesterday, our beloved Connie Odoms turned 90. And so, yes, happy birthday, Connie, and you and Mama Rose and all of our senior saints are such a blessing to us. And we're so blessed to have you with us. And we thank you for your godly example. Today is also the first day of Advent, so following this service, and I'll say a little bit more about this at the announcements, we will be greening our church. Now, why do we green the church in Advent? It, it looks forward to life springing forth. So during Advent, um, everything is simply green inside the church, the evergreen speaking of the life and, and life springing forth to come. And then at Christmas, when we get to Christmas, which really starts on at midnight on December 25th, this is not Christmas yet, even despite what the retailers would tell you. Um, and Christmas then lasts for 12 days until Epiphany. Um, everything springs forth into full bloom, and we, we beautify the church with red and gold and all the beautiful flowers. And so it, it creates that sense and is, helps to point us to that sense of expectation as we look forward to celebrating the birth of our Lord. Well, today again is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent is not, despite what some people say, what we call a penitential season. Um, Lent is a penitential season, a season that's very much focused on um, repentance uh, and, and um, self-denial. Advent is a time to reflect, to reflect on our need for a Savior and God's purpose in sending Jesus, the eternal Son of God, into the world as a man. As St. Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So Advent is a time of sober reflection on these things. It's also a season of expectancy and anticipation. Again, as we focus on the coming of Christ. Christ coming to the world the first time as a baby. Christ coming and abiding in the midst of his people by the Holy Spirit. And also a focus on Christ's second coming, his return, that our gospel reading this morning points us to. Christ's return is the focus of the first Sunday in Advent. The scripture readings, our processional hymn, all look forward in hopeful expectation. The first candle on the Advent wreath that we lit today is the candle of hope. And during each of the four Sundays of Advent this year, 
I'm going to focus on our Old Testament readings, um, all of which come from the prophet Isaiah. So in light of that, I'd invite you now to turn your Bibles with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 2. Um, our reading was verses 1 through 5. I'll be focusing primarily on verses 1 through 4. So if you could turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The opening verses of Isaiah chapter 2, from the perspective of the day in which Isaiah wrote them, look toward the future. Verse 2 begins with these words, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Again, this forward orientation, which really launches us into our first point this morning, God's promised future. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. In the immediate context of Isaiah's day, in the midst of grim circumstances, God's people were in difficult circumstances at this time. God calls his people to live in fidelity to him, to fully return to him in light of the promises that he has made to them. As commentator John Oswald says, they exist as a nation, not merely as another nation, but in order that the nations might be redeemed. It is through this nation, Old Testament Israel, these people, that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come into the world. Now, hopefully we don't fall into the depths of sin that God's Old Testament people did. But this call here is a reminder to you and me as well. No matter how difficult things may get, no matter how dark present circumstances may be, and to note many Christians in the world today are persecuted. They live in difficult, dark circumstances. This is why we pray for the persecuted church every Sunday. But no matter how difficult things may get, God's promises, which he has said, what he has said that he will accomplish, are absolutely true and unfailing. And God will bring these to pass. This Advent, I'm reading a book called by Alfred Delp, who was a Catholic priest in Germany, um, called Prison Writings. And Delp wrote, he was a Jesuit, um, part of the resistance in Germany to the Nazis, who wrote um, in the last months of his life from prison, um, reflections that were smuggled out through um, someone who visited him. And he was wrongly accused and convicted. He was not a part of it, of one of the plots to assassinate Hitler. But um, he was hanged shortly before the fall of Nazi Germany. But Delp, writing from prison, says this. None that wait on thee shall be confounded. We must recognize and acknowledge the hunger and thirst for satisfaction outside of ourselves. After all, it is not a case of waiting for something that may not happen. We have the comforting assurance of all those who wait, knowing that the one they expect is already on the way. If we are terrified by the dawning realization of our true condition, the terror is completely calmed by the certain knowledge that God is on the way and is actually approaching. Our fate, no matter how much it may be entwined with the inescapable logic of circumstance, is still nothing more than the way to God, the way the Lord has chosen for the ultimate consummation of his purpose, 
for his permanent ends. Lift up your heads because your redemption is at hand. Just as falsehood entered the world through the heart and destroyed it, so truth begins its healing work there. Light the candles quietly, such candles as you possess, wherever you are. They are the appropriate symbol for all that must happen in Advent if we are to live. Beyond the immediacy of God's promises to exhort God's people to return to him, Isaiah also points to the future in this verse, in verse 2. The future following the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and what God would and is indeed doing among the peoples of the world in the last days. Now let me define biblically what the last days are for us. The last days are that entire period between the ascension of Christ back to the right hand of the Father until Christ returns. So we indeed in this church age live in the last days. And God has indeed begun to fulfill these promises. Again to quote John Oswald, to be sure we await Christ's second coming for the complete fulfillment of this promise. But the partial fulfillment began at Pentecost. Mount Zion, as Isaiah speaks of here, will figuratively be lifted high above all the other mountains. The God who Israel worshipped on Mount Zion will indeed triumph because he alone is the true and living God. And we lose sight of this perspective a little bit because in that day, many of the pagan cultures around Old Testament Israel just viewed them as another nation with their own system of worship and another God that was one of many gods, kind of a polytheistic view of things. But that is not who the God of Israel is. And Mount Zion being lifted up figuratively speaks of the reality that our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he alone, he alone is God. As Psalm 96.5 tells us, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Daniel 6.26 reminds us, he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. And from Mount Zion, the location of Jerusalem, Christ's disciples began the mission of proclaiming the good news of salvation in Christ to the ends of the earth. As Isaiah says about Mount Zion, all the nations of the world will flow to it. And this is supernatural imagery. Every commentator I wrote emphasized this fact because Mount Zion is, is high ground. So the idea of flowing to it means flowing upward, not downward. This is a call and a drawing that God brings to pass. Again, this began with the church going out following the day of Pentecost and proclaiming the gospel. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to this mission, to continue this mission, knowing that God's promises are true. The disciples beginning the day of Pentecost went out. Have you ever thought of the fact that we, you know, we think, well, that's 2,000 years ago, but we are beneficiaries of that missionary call of the disciples going out? We are beneficiaries of that, even 2,000 years later. And we are beneficiaries, new creations in Christ, called to continue this work until our Lord's return. 
when I think of the context where God has placed us as a church, and you could hear a lot about this going into next year. I know you heard some about it this year, but going into next year, because this God's burning this into my heart, we're called to continue this work. And the Lord, as we think about the nations going up, flowing up to Mount Zion, the Lord has brought the nations to our front door. Yes, we, we support and partner with missions abroad, but the Lord has brought the nations to our front door and he calls us to take the gospel to them that, that the peoples of the world, the nations of the world that he's brought right here to Woodbridge and to Dale City could go up and encounter the Lord and be redeemed and renewed. All the nations will flow to Mount Zion and God has blessed us to make us part of that work of bringing his prophecy to pass. Secondly, we have God's promised purpose. We've already looked quite a bit at God's purpose as we talked about the promised future. This interwovenness of themes is apparent because in verse 2 we read, again, all the nations will flow to it. Now in verse 3 we read, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And the purpose? The purpose is that many people, a great multitude, will walk with God. We are to go up together as the people of God, the nations of the world, the peoples of the world redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we go up so that God may teach us his ways, that we would walk in living relationship and true fellowship with him and as un in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is God's promise for you and me. This is God's promise for all who will come. As we come to God in repentance, as we come to God through Christ and true faith, God himself, did you hear that? God himself will teach us his ways. How? Well, clearly through scripture, his written word, but also by his Holy Spirit at work in us, the Holy Spirit who lives in every true believer, who lives inside of every disciple of Jesus, and he will also teach us through one another. Remember what Jesus promised, speaking of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Obedience, walking in God's truth by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, walking in unity as brothers and sisters, it is possible. We can, because God says we can by his power, we can walk in God's path, as verse 3 emphasizes. And as we do, as we grow and are refined, as we draw closer to God, God uses us. He uses, think about this, he uses you and me to fulfill what he has promised. What an amazing truth to ponder. What an amazing blessing. What an awesome truth to ponder during Advent. That you and I as God's people are part of God fulfilling his purpose in the earth. His purpose that through Christ's Christ's first coming 
and the proclamation of the gospel. All the nations of the world are being drawn to him as we continue to look toward Christ's second coming. Look at verse 3 with me again. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then third and finally, God's promised peace in verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is peace with God. The wiping away of the enmity created by our sin between God and us. But it's not just that. Keep in mind we live in the age between Christ's first and second coming. And we live in a tension of that world, the world which is passing away, while at the same time, that which will only come in full measure when Christ returns. We live in the tension of that time where the realities of Christ's kingdom are being made more and more a reality through the people of God. And yet this world is passing away and we are beneficiaries in part of that kingdom which is yet to come. Submission to Christ, true submission, leads to peace not only between us and God, but between individual people and even between larger groupings of people. True peace comes through hearts and lives transformed by the Spirit of God. Again, to quote John Oswald, I know I'm quoting him a lot today, but he had so many good things to say in his commentary on this. The warfare, the manipulative cult, the injustice, the posturing of the mighty were all the result of refusal to submit one's desires to God. From whence comes peace? From the recognition that God is the source of all good, that our needs and our destiny can be submitted to his judgment, and from the knowledge that he does all things well. Persons who have learned such truths are walking in them and walking and are walking in them can know God's peace or well-being. And when two persons are walking in this way, in such peace together, because both excuse me, let me back up. And when two persons are walking in this way, they they in such peace together, because both can know that the other will submit his or her needs to God rather than attempt to satisfy them by force. All that to say for us individually, in relationship with others, in relationships even between larger groups of people, true peace comes through submission to the one true living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin this season of Advent, may it be much more to us than simply a tradition where all of a sudden everything in the church is green and, every, and we're, everything is purple. May we begin by pondering and reflecting this first Sunday in Advent on God's great love for us. That he sent his son to redeem us, to restore us to living relationship with him, and to give us eternal life. May we prayerfully and purposely press into his call, his call to us to be full participants in his work of reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ that all the peoples of the world, the nations of the world, would flow to him, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. 
And may we know even in difficult and seemingly dark circumstances that God is indeed at work. And finally, may we be a people who live in and demonstrates God's peace as we look forward to our Lord's return. Let us pray. Father, fill our hearts with a sense of expectation as we enter into this holy season of Advent. Expectation and thankfulness for what Christ has done for us by coming to the earth as that baby born in Bethlehem. Expectation of what you have promised you would do in these latter days in and through your people as the nations of the world flow toward you, toward Mount Zion, to the truth and the city of our glorious God. And fill our hearts with expectation and gratefulness for being a part of your work as we look forward to the return of our King of glory, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we experience your peace as we submit more fully to you as individuals, as a church, as the people of God. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.